Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Seeing, Structuring, and Creating. It's quite an interesting title, I thought. You know, most of the time, if you can't see it, you can't do it. If you can't think it, you don't have it in your mind to accomplish it. So where do, how do we arrive at new thoughts, new ideas, new perspectives? How do we arrive at these places? How do we change from what we are to where we want to be if we don't know what it is? You know, did you ever go on vacation to some place you'd never heard of? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? I mean, if you never heard of it, how do you know where it is? And how do you know how to get there if you don't know where it is? And, you know, so if, it's, if it doesn't exist in your mind and no one has told you about it, how then do you get there? Some people are always lost, even when they do know where they're at. For me, I'm not a direction person. I have a Garmin in the car, you know. At the hospital, they have these addresses, and, you know, and they have these directions to follow to get to people's houses. You know, I visit families in their homes. They tell me, well, it's in Kernville, or it's in Upper Yoder, Lower Yoder, you know, Sidman, Salix, you know, and, you know, just give me an address. You know, don't tell me directions, don't go, you go down there, you go up on the hill, you know where Scalp Avenue is. Well, which Scalp, before you get to 219 or after 219? You know, it's just like confusing to me. So you just give me an address, I type it in, and it says I'll be there at a certain time, and I said, I know where it's at. I just follow the little lady, Gigi. <laughs> I follow Gigi, and she tells me where to go. Sometimes Gigi gets a little upset and says, there is a better way. <laughs> Any of you have a Garmin that talks back to you? I mean, in a really condescending voice, too. She'll tell me, oh, there is a better way. I turn the volume down. You turn the volume down, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not good with directions as in finding. I can go back to a certain place. You know, if I've been there once, then I can generally find my way back and get there, but I can't tell you what routes and all that stuff. So, if you don't see something, if you don't have an idea of where it is, how can you get there? And so, in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, God has a way of giving to us His Word that gives us the ability to see things that we couldn't see before and to understand things that we didn't understand before. Whenever we start taking God's Word and allowing God's Word to be implemented in our life, we find ourselves thinking and doing differently than we had before. It isn't a guilt trip, and it isn't condemnation, and it isn't, you know, do this or go to hell. You know, that little thing that says, get out of hell free card. It's not what it's about. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ that gives us hope in this life and in the life to come, and that there is a being able to see, to being able to structure, and being able to create. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I can now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection 
and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. If we are aware of Paul, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was the elite of his society. He was the Harvard graduate, a member of the Supreme Court of his society. You know, if you consider Harvard the elite school or some other one. But Paul was of the elite school of Gamaliel, that there wasn't a higher teacher than Gamaliel. And Paul was his best student. So he's highly educated. He is very zealous, and he is a member of the Pharisees, meaning that he is the supreme court rulers of his day. So here is Paul saying, everything that I've attained and all of my knowledge and all of my positions and all of the things I've do, that I've done, I consider them all a loss. I consider them as rubbish compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So as compared to everything else that I've attained in my life, Knowing Jesus is greater than all of these things. We sang the song, Knowing You, Lord. So knowing you, Lord, is like putting things in perspective for us. So if you don't see things, some people visualize things. Are you, uh, do you visualize? Last Sunday, Rhonda went through the church. She started in the last pew and wrote everybody's name down, the whole way down and back, each side. And there were 113 people here. <laughs> she wrote your names down, families, and everybody else, and she was able to go through and not only know what family, she was no, basically knew everybody's name, and she's going, I'm like, oh my gosh, dear, don't, don't, you know, please, don't embarrass me. You know, <laughs> I can't even remember how many were here, or I don't have a clue how many were here, but she's naming everyone, and because she just, she just goes back and she just goes, checks out the film. <laughs> she checks out the film, you know, news at 11, film at 11, she's able to go back, if you ask her today who was here and where they sat last week, she could probably tell you. Why does she do that? She can pick up the film. <laughs> you know, push in the picture on the iPod, and there's the picture. And she can go through that. She can visualize it and put it together. Well, as we visualize the new, we become dissatisfied with the old. Now, if we're looking at to where we're going to go in our life, God knows what he created us for. We were each created for a purpose. How do we arrive at that purpose? We cannot arrive at that purpose without really knowing God. We can have talents and abilities and desires, and these are all good, but it's when those talents and abilities are put together with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, it begins to make sense for us. It begins to find how it comes together for defining a purpose for our life. So as we visualize the new, we become dissatisfied with the old. Now, you don't have to destroy something to leave it. If you want to trade your car in, the first thing you do is, I think I hear something. <laughs> My wife's on to that trick. You know, if we want to trade in something, if we want to get rid of something, we have to say, well, you know, it's just no good. I think I'll sell it to my friends. What? <laughs> if it's no good, why are you selling it to your friends? Well, it's not that bad. Sometimes we feel like if we're going to move on from where we are, we have to destroy something that we're with so that it's no good that we can move on to something better. 
The idea is if we know that something is better, we don't have to destroy the old. We just simply have to recognize that there's something better we're moving on to. Paul saw everything of his life, and he says, this is a loss. Everything that he was, everything that he knew. Now, here he is, this Pharisee of the Pharisee, the elite of his society. He didn't knock his education. He didn't say that what he learned was of no value in the sense that, you know, forget education, you don't need it. No, he was saying that all that I know and everything that I've done with my life is not comparable to the value that I find in Jesus. Now, he didn't stop thinking or knowing everything that he was as a Pharisee and everything that he had studied under Gamaliel. He didn't suddenly erase that from his memory. He saw that in comparison that the knowledge of Christ was greater than all the knowledge that he had put together and all the things that he had done with his life to that point. Now, he took those experiences and he understood them and he saw how Jesus then put all that together in his life to make sense. When you're going through high school and college and things, sometimes it's like, what on earth am I ever going to use this for? But yet, there are times and experiences in our life later on that they are a benefit to us. You know, when David graduated when he was in college and he was going to um, graduate in biblical studies and in art, I thought, all those years and all that money <laughs> we put into college and it's like, why is he doing biblical studies in art? If there's two things that don't go together, it's biblical studies and art, you know. But he did. And when he went to El Salvador, it was the most perfect thing he could have ever done. Because he became a speaker and spoke in churches and things like that and went out in the rural communities and spoke there. But he also became the photographer for Enlace and was taking the pictures and setting up the website and all the pictures that go out for the Enlace ministry. It was perfect. I'm glad he didn't ask me my opinion. <laughs> we see how things fit, sometimes not at the moment, but as we go on with our life. So seeing yourself into it. Sometimes it's just like asking God, God, how do you see this going on in my life? How do you see this going down? Lasting fulfillment doesn't come from reaching another goal or meeting another deadline. It is in finding that place where God has for us and that he is at work in our life. That I might know him, Paul says. That I might know Jesus. Okay? We spoke last week, resurrection. Jesus, risen from the dead. You know, there's a whole list of evidence to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an authentic, real event in history. Just like we have the Declaration of Independence, that was an authentic event that happened in history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an authentic event that happened in history that is documented by evidence. Paul was one of those individuals that we could say he saw Jesus Christ and Jesus changed his life. Now, here is Paul on the road to Damascus and he's going to Damascus to kill Christians. And he's going there with an order to disband the Christians and to punish them, persecute them. And while on the road, he meets Jesus. And it totally changes his life. That, and he writes here in, in the, the letter to the uh, Philippians, he says, that I might know him. 
This is my goal, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. So Paul is saying that when I met Jesus and I encountered the power of the resurrection, it changed my life. That's kind of why whenever we talk about worship and we, talk, and we sing praises and we sing our songs and worship God and, and listen to the scriptures and pray and read, what are we doing? We want to know him. We want to know Jesus Christ in a way that gives us that assurance. And the power of that resurrection is the power that God gives to us, flows into our life, that enables us to be different. and enables us to see things and to understand things that we couldn't know or not, that we can't see without God's help. That I might know him. We need God's affirmation. The praises of people. It's like a bucket of water with holes in. <laughs> the praises of people just kind of come and they go and they fall away. But the most important praise we have is that from God. God asks us to do only what His grace and His power will do through us. God doesn't ask us to do or to go to accomplish things that He will not give us the strength or the power to do. Abraham saw a country. Now, this is where, when we talk about seeing things that are different, Abraham, when God spoke to him, he says, Abraham, I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you where it's at when you get there. So Abraham started out on a journey to go to a land that he was going to occupy and his descendants would occupy. God gave Abraham a promise that you're going to have descendants as, as many as the stars, but Abraham didn't have a child. There's this understanding in our spirit that gives us hope even whenever the circumstances don't give us dreams. And circumstances can't take your dreams away. When God gives you a dream, God gives you hope. It isn't because the tide is favorable. If the tide may be totally unfavorable, but there's something in your heart that says and declares and gives you hope that gives that breath of life to your spirit. That's where we find God awakening us, giving us his ability. Robert Browning says, Why stay we on earth except to grow? We're only here for one purpose, and that's to grow and to change. Yet few of us dedicate ourselves to the process of growth. Because growth requires change, and most of us are uncomfortable with change. You see, we don't like the process of change. And the growth has a process. We are the sum. Okay, here we go. You are the sum of your five closest friends. And you will change according to the books that you've read. If you don't have input into yourselves, into who you are, nothing changes. That's why the scripture, and that's why we pray, that's why you can read the same verse 20 times, and the 21st time you read it, something happens, it ignites something inside of you. That's why there is, this, the Spirit comes to give us life, and to give it to us in abundance that we're not used to. See, the process of change is something that God is involved in, in how that we take on this whole process. 
coming to church, you know, praying, reading the scriptures. These are things that are, involve a process. How many went to work, go to work five days a week? Have gone to work five days a week? How many go to school five days a week? Is it a process? <laughs> it's a process. We're dedicated to it. It's like uh, the mother calls up, son, you know, it's time to get up. Church is going to be in an hour. She goes, he didn't hear anything. She waits about five minutes and, son, you know, church is going to be in 55 minutes. You've got to get ready. Go to church. Uh-huh. Son, it's 30 minutes in church time. You've got to go to church. You go, Mom, I don't want to go to church. But son, you're the pastor. <laughs> if we don't change, we don't grow. And if we don't grow, are we really living? Growth demands the temporary surrender of security. It means a giving up of the familiar, but limiting patterns of our safety. But it's an unrewarding work if we don't change. Values no longer believed in, relationships that have lost their meaning. Taking a new step is what we fear most. Yet, our real fear should be the opposite of doing nothing. Seeing yourself into it. Visualize the new. Structure. Build the structure. Nothing exists without a structure. You have a structure. Your bones are your structure. What are those animals that don't have bones? Invertebrates. And what is their structure? Their body, their skin. So, Every, everything has a structure of some form or another. What type of structure does your vision of what you can become, will become, have? There's a story of a couple who loved mushrooms. <laughs> One day they, were, they, they stopped along this roadside and they bought a bushel of mushrooms. And so they went home and they made mushroom omelets, mushroom salad, mushroom soup, and even concocted a mushroom dessert. Not only did they love mushrooms, their cat loved the mushrooms. Gobbled up everything that was left over. And later the lady went out into the kitchen and found the cat lying on the floor gasping for breath. She immediately called the vet and said they'd probably, the vet said they'd probably gotten some poison toadstools. And advised husband and wife to go to the hospital. So after returning home after you know, getting their stomachs pumped, the couple came home expecting to see the cat lying lifeless on the floor. Instead, the cat was in the corner with a brand new litter of kittens. <laughs> what they thought were death pains were only birth pains. <laughs> uh, ladies, if you had children, I understand that it feels like death pains, but it is birth pain. And so what seems that your dreams, that, you are ga that they may be gasping at their last breath, really, perhaps, is just the birthing of something new. Hmm. Sometimes our dreams, we must have them a second time. You know, I like Joseph, you know, he had his first dream and it was 
sheaves of grain bowing down to him. But his second dream, his second dream was bigger than that. This time he saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him. His family totally got upset with that. But sometimes our dreams, you know, like the first one he saw was the sheaves of grain, and now he sees the stars in the heavens. See, if you are abounding, and, and, you know, if you are abounding in who you are, and, and, and you find that there's a place in your life that you need to dream bigger dreams, sometimes we're not dreaming big enough. Sometimes we need to see things in a different perspective. And if we are abandoning our dreams because of discouragement or whatever, we need to rise up and dream again. Remember the promise. Remember the promise that instilled the dream. The structure in your life is toward the dream. What do the promises that God has placed in your heart, what do they say? What do the dreams inside of you say? You want to build an outhouse? <laughs> you want to build a tower? Now, I thought of that and said, well, we build an outhouse. That's pretty ridiculous. Except, in El Salvador, in a community of 15 or 25,000 people, they didn't have one latrine. So you can imagine a community of 20,000 people somewhere in there not having a bathroom. Their kids and their children were dying from diseases. So someone had a, David went in, brought churches in, and they dug latrines and helped eradicate some of the diseases that were killing the families. You see, dreams can be something that we don't understand, but yet in some ways give purpose for our life and give meaning to what's going on. God builds our life precept upon precept, brick upon brick, and the challenge sometimes looks too big for us. And you know what? If the challenge looks too big for you, then that's good, because you must need God in order to accomplish it. If you can, if you can accomplish the dream on your own, is that a God thing? You see, creating the new, creating something. You see it, you structure it. You, the structure is based upon the promise. The promises that God has birthed in your heart and your life. You can't take all the promises of the scripture and put them all together to build something in your life. God inspires certain promises to your life. And it's on that inspiration that the structure begins to take form. So there is a vision of what we can become. There is a structure to it based upon the principles of God that he has given us, and then there is the creating of it. The creating of this life, the creating of who you are. We celebrated with the kids in their majorettes and the six, what is it called? That's a six toss catch. Okay, how many times did you practice that? A lot. <laughs> well, what's so important about six spins and a catch? Well, if you're in a drill team, it's very important. Who dreamed up that idea? Obviously, somebody who wanted to put together a routine. A routine. Structure. 
Do you want to grow? What routine will you commit yourself to to fulfill the dream? Will you commit yourself to prayer? Will you commit yourself to reading the scripture? Will you commit yourself to coming to church? But I don't want to go today. <laughs> well, I don't want to practice today. This is the whole idea of seeing something, structuring it, and then creating it. If you don't see the routine, if you don't structure the routine, you will never create it. Whether it's a drill team, or whether it's your life, or whether it's your everyday life going to work, whether it's the incorporation of the promises of God into your life, if you don't see it, if you don't structure it, you'll never create it. And how can God create something that you can't see? Because he will create it with his promise. It will be birthed in your spirit. And it will challenge you. Do you know, 30 years ago, Sunday I tried out, spoke here to be pastor. I stood about right there where Jose is. Put my hands on both sides of the pew. I can still picture it. And, and there was this kind of this spirit inside of me that said, if you come here, I'll fill the church. Thirty years later, it happened. Thirty years later. Do you know how many sermons that is? <laughs> Do you know how many people came and went? But 30 years later, it happened. Now, I'd always remember it, and I'd always think about it, and then I would say, well, I guess I must have didn't hear right. But, you know, last Sunday it happened. Now, maybe we could get 120. That'll be our next goal. <laughs> but to have 113 every Sunday would be great. Having you here today is great. But you see, you've got to see it, you've got to structure it, and you've got to create it. Forgetting, Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. Forgetting to be able to be fr fruitful. You've got to be able to forget in order to become fruitful. Forget your past. Forget the failures. Paul said, I count all of this as, as, as loss for the knowledge of Christ. Forgetting this as being my goal in life, knowing Christ is my goal. Knowing him, I will be fruitful. <laughs> Joseph. Joseph was a dreamer. When he found himself in prison and you know, sold by his brothers and in prison in Egypt, and Joseph declared, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, we need to reframe our pain. Reframe our life. Put it in a whole different picture frame. Put it in a whole different context. Whenever we start seeing things differently, we start responding differently. If we start understanding why we need to do six spins and catch the rifle, if we start understanding why we need to do that and how that it looks when there's a whole group of people doing a six spin and landing it together, there's something that looks good about that. And it fits into the routine. 
Well, if we don't see it, we won't accomplish it. If we don't see it, we won't structure ourselves for it. If we don't see it and we don't put the structure together for it, we'll never create it. It's in your eyes. If we can see it, if it's in your spirit, you can create it. <laughs> Talks about how important it is to be able to receive from other people. Sometimes we don't like to be that vulnerable. But if it weren't for other people, we wouldn't be who we are. If it wasn't for us, they wouldn't be who they are. Giving and receiving is so much a part of our personal growth and development. God is a gracious giver. And if we're not willing to receive, how can we, how can we know the greatness of the gifts that he wants to give to us? And if we're not willing to give, we don't know the greatness of the blessing of giving to others. You see, it's, it's a balance not of accumulation of things, but it's a balance of a process that we're all involved in in becoming the person God created us to be. There's a story that says, a few years ago, a group of salesmen went to a regional sales conference in Chicago. They had assured their wives that they would be home in plenty of time for Friday night dinner. In their rush with tickets and briefcase, one of these salesmen inadvertently kicked over a table which held a display of apples. The apples flew everywhere. Without stopping or looking back, they all managed to reach the plane on time for their boarding, all but one. He paused, took a deep breath, and experienced a twinge of compassion for a girl whose apple stand was overturned. He told his buddies to go on without him and wave goodbye and told them to call his wife when they arrived at home and explain that he will be there on a later flight. Then he returned to the terminal where the apples were all over the terminal floor. He was glad that he did. The 16-year-old girl was totally blind. She was softly crying, tears running down her cheeks in frustration, and at the same time helplessly groping for her spilled produce as a crowd swirled around her. No one stopping and no one cared for who she was or her plight. The salesman knelt on the floor with her and gathered up the apples and put them back on the table and helped her organize her display. As he did this, he noticed that many of them had become battered and bruised. These he set aside in another basket, and when he had finished, he pulled his wallet and said to the girl, Here, please take this $40 for the damage we did. Are you okay? She nodded through her tears. He continued on with, I hope we didn't spoil your day too badly. And as the salesman started to walk away, the bewildered blind girl called out to him, Mister! He paused and turned to look back into those blind eyes. She continued, Are you Jesus? He stopped in his stride and he wondered, 
Then slowly he made his way to catch the later flight with a question burning in his soul. Are you Jesus? Do people mistake you for Jesus? That's our destiny, is it not? To be so much like Jesus that people cannot tell the difference as we live and interact in a world that is blind to his love, his life, and his grace. We've got to see it. We've got to structure it. We've got to create it. And in that whole process, we want to look like Jesus. It's not for our gain, but for his. And as we have his gain, we gain that glory for us and others.